How many of you prayed this week? Anybody have say a prayer? Hope more than one, huh? Did you pray on Monday? Tuesday? Wednesday? Thursday? Nobody forgot Friday, right? How about yesterday? We prayed. Keep praying. All right. This morning, have you been praying? Worshiping and exalting God? It's the body of Christ. We're to, we're to pray without ceasing. We're to love God with everything we have. And we're to grow in that knowledge. God challenges us. How many have been challenged this week? The world has uh, challenged us, right? Sometimes it gets the best of our thinking, but it can't get the best of Jesus, can it? I want to share with you this morning a message. We're just focusing on Christmas, focusing as much as we can on the birth of Jesus Christ, the most glorious event beside his death and resurrection and ascension. Couldn't have any of those until he came in the flesh, right? And so I would like you to turn with me this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We want to continue to learn and we want to continue to grow concerning this amazing event. I don't think, I would hope you never get tired of Christmas. I, I know it takes on new dimensions when you're a kid. Uh, it's all about an amazing season when the hope that there's a present under the tree for you, if not five or six. There's some kind of a mystery, isn't there, about Christmas season. I remember as a kid, there was something holy to me and, and something so marvelous uh, about the season with lights and, and traditions and something that became so holy and so mysterious to me. And as I grew and then uh, remembered family traditions and then uh, had children of my own and, and enjoyed creating that wonderful mystery and wonderful love in the household of Christmas. And now that my kids are grown, I, I cherish the, again, the holiness and the simplicity of what Christmas is. So I love Christmas. Uh, I think it's a tremendous time. And I want to boast this morning about Christmas and all of its glory and all of its wonder. But I want to take you on a different path. I'd like you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and we start at verse 27 and we read this. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing those things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. When you consider Christmas and consider what it is, that it is God becoming flesh, the plan of God from beginning of time that was good, he knew it was very good, and he had planned all that set forth for eternity to happen on that very first Christmas when the Word of God would become flesh and dwell among men. He did something so profound, so elaborate, so amazing, yet he used the cheapest and worst materials he could find to execute this wonderful miracle. Just so he could confound everybody. So that in the end, all we could ever say is it was God from first to last. It was Him who did it. He who made it happen. 
and no one can glory in His sight. When we get there, all we will do for eternity is marvel at the genius and beauty and splendor of God that He created out of nothing. Consider that the ruler of the world came as a baby in a manger. Kings have their palaces. Herod has his armies. The Romans have all of the known world conquered. And God brings his conquering, battling warrior to conquer death in the grave as a baby in a manger. That's confounding. Do you know how dangerous that was? Herod went out and began to kill all the children two years and under. And God dared to put Himself, His Word, His wisdom, His logic, His reason, into the flesh as an infant. I mean, I don't know. When's the last time you picked up an infant? For some of you, it's been a while. You can volunteer for the nursery at any point in this sermon. How many of you have picked up? Those little things are pretty dainty. You get scared you're going to drop this kid. There could be a lot of damage. And God is going to hand himself over to a 14 or 15 year old girl. A virgin. And a carpenter. And he's going to turn the world over. That's his world ruler. Doesn't that confound the wise? I hear so many jokes about baby Jesus, baby Jesus, baby Jesus. Yeah, baby Jesus that shows you how confident God is in all that He's going to accomplish. He would even come as a babe to accomplish and conquer the world. Awesome and amazing. A virgin, a carpenter, to protect and guard the most precious person in all the world against the Roman government, against Herod, and against hostile Jews. How did he do this? How did he protect from the authority of all of earth? He did it in such a way, and such a unique way, that he wove it in so that they couldn't find him. He had him leave Nazareth and and had a charge so that Joseph and Mary would have to go to Bethlehem, some out-of-the-way little town that nobody paid attention to. And by doing that, he couldn't find, you could go house to house and you wouldn't find the baby because God cleverly hid him in a barn and in a trough so that you wouldn't know where he was. And he cleverly put it in the Scriptures. We had wise men who sought the Word of God and found it must be in the city of Bethlehem because Rome and Herod had no idea, so they came into the prophetic knowledge of what would take place and they began to unwrap it and unfold it, but God was always one step ahead by an angel telling Joseph to go down to Egypt. For God making a way, weaving through the simplest, most mundane aspects of life, hiding Christ in the base things. You know, you can go to grand cathedrals, you can go to show-stopping, spectacular things, but 
Jesus will hide Himself in the most mundane places and in the craziest areas. There are many of you who have found Christ where many would say He would dare not go. But He's there. Hidden in all the rural, empty, lonely places. That's where you find Christ. To confound the wise. Go on. Who celebrated this great birth? We should have had all of Israel there. We should have had the priests and the Levites. We should have had all of them blowing shofars. All the musicians of the temple there celebrating, singing. All of Israel should have fasted, feasted, and celebrated this great king's arrival with palm branches and everything else. But he came without any notice. The angels couldn't hold back. They made declaration. But to whom? The lowest members of a society, the shepherds outcasts they're unclean people they could not worship at temple because they were unclean with all the animals though they themselves tended the flock that would be the sacrificial animals in that temple god would announce that the lamb of god has come to a group of people that nobody cared about Hmm. he hasn't stopped doing that has he Aren't we the lowest and the basest things of this earth? I don't think we have any kings here, but he's made us king's kids. And he comes and he confounds the wise. And so, only a few came to celebrate. I find that amazing. That God started off with a birth that nobody rejoiced in except, again, a couple shepherds. The wise men didn't come till a year later. So you have some shepherds Some guys come in there, and by the way, there was no drummer boy, but it's nice to sing. (laughs) A kid wasn't there. Just shepherds, smelled like sheep, awestruck that they found this baby. I don't think they really fully understood or comprehended what was this about. And a young woman, a young man, scared to death, marveling at this child. No celebration. But it isn't it amazing that when He comes back, it's so that every eye will see, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess He is Lord. Confounding the wise and the powerful of the world, this baby will rule, is ruling, and will come back for all to see Him. In the smallest little town of Bethlehem, in a stable for the birth of the King of Kings. Prophecy fulfilled as grandeur of his purpose outshined his meager surroundings. In the reality of his glory, in the lowest conditions, he abides in that stable. But where does he abide now? In the hearts of the people He has saved. Who are we any different from a lowly manger to hold Christ within us? That the world would feed off of Christ in us. Now when you think about it, the Bible clearly indicates who He saves. First of all, He says that there are none righteous, no, not one. 
There are none good. No man seeks God. I was offended by that when I was younger because I thought I was a pretty righteous dude. <laughs> really did. Grew up in the church. Thought I understood scriptures. Thought I understood that. When I read that, that there's no righteous, no not one, I thought I've, I've sought God. Until I really came to the realization that he's the one drawing me. Apart from him, I can do nothing. The Bible clearly says that we are dead. He comes to dead men. Why? To raise them up. He comes to the lowest, the meek, the broken, the blind, the lame. That's us. We get blamed for needing a crutch. Oh, you Christians, religion is a crutch. Not only is it a crutch, it's an ambulance, it's a doctor, it's the emergency room. It's everything I need. I need to rise up out of a coffin. Okay, it's more than a crutch. It's a complete renovation. The sooner you come to realize that we're that manger, we're that stable, we're Bethlehem, we're nothing, you will then begin to see the grandeur of Christmas and of this birth of Jesus Christ. The self-sufficient, the self-approved rock stars, idols, the rich and the famous. As the writer of Ecclesiastes said, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. In other words, meaningless, meaningless. There's nothing new under the sun. Hey, they had rock stars back in, in Jerusalem. They had... They had uh, uh, Jerusalem idols, Roman idol, you know. They had great warriors. They had, they had everything we have. There's nothing new. Celebrities and stars, the rich and the famous. And the problem with that is it blinds people. It's not until you and I get to a place where we recognize we're nothing without God. Nothing. You know, I was... I found one of my diaries from when I was in high school. That's always an adventure to read. A lot of drama. A lot of drama. This is, this is an excerpt from 1979. I was 19 or 20 years old. My last year of uh, college at uh, Center for Creative Studies. And uh, I, I found this interesting. I, I read it. There's no, I said this. There's nothing harder to discover than when you realize you are but an average person. I hope I never have to face that. <laughs> 20 years old, okay? Wow. Wow. blind, <laughs> dead. But I, I came to a knowledge that I am just an average person, if that at best. You know, life has a way of, of taking down all the glory you think you are. Working, I remember getting a job at GM. First of all, it took me a long time to get a job. So I went back to school. It was easier that way. 
got married and had my wife support me. <laughs> I was scared. So I went on to get my master's degree in art. Again, not a genius move, but <laughs> I did get into General Motors. I thought they wanted a sculpture for their fountain, and it turns out that you make cars out of clay. I thought, that's beneath me. Then they told me how much they'd pay me. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> Soon you're challenged, and then you find out, you know what, I'm not all that. I was an average art student trying to do the best I could. Then I went to work at GM, and I became an average clay modeler trying to keep up with the rest. I felt a call in my life, and I, I tried to do music, and then I thought for sure I'd make this great breakthrough in music till you find out you're, you're average in music too. And then we started a church and became a pastor, and, and then you find out you're trying to hang on, do the best you can, and you find yourself average in everything you do. There's better churches, there's better preachers, there's better pastors. You see them all the time, you hear them. I'm not trying to give you a sob story, I'm trying to give you reality. When you look at your own life, all of us come to, look at, look at us in this room, come on. Who are we? I mean, I have to be as real as possible today because I, I can't boast before God. And when we get in the presence of God, what are we going to say? Hey, I was the best at this. I can do a crossword really good. <laughs> what does it matter? How many of us are stopping world wars? How many of us are, what are we doing? We're a bunch of average people. In fact, if you don't mind, I don't want to offend you, but if you'd go with me on this journey, most of us are below average. I don't even know what average is. Do you know what the average is in the human race? Sinner, depraved, fallen. So, you know, Oprah made a lot of money telling everybody how amazing they are and trying to get everybody through the self-help books to become all that you should be. And apart from Christ, you will never amount to anything. I have to speak the truth. So on Christmas, I can't boast of my achievements. I can't boast of what I've accomplished. None of us should boast at what we've been able to do. But the writer says this, if you're going to boast... Let me give you something to boast about. He says in verse 30, But because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom from God, the righteousness of God, the sanctification, and the redemption, so that, as it is written, let no one boast, but if he boasts, boast in the Lord. I don't have too many smarts, but what I do have has been revealed to me, and now I have the mind of Christ. I can tell you the reason for living, and I can tell you the need to have Jesus Christ. I have the wisdom of God now. I have the revelation of who He is. I've been washed and sanctified, not because I am spectacular, but because He was, and His blood has washed me clean. 
I have full redemption. And my life matters now. Even my failings matter. Not because I'm good at getting out of a jam, but because He weaves all things together for the good of His purposes. He can make things great out of nothing. He can make a throne out of a manger. He can make a witness out of a shepherd. He can make something great out of a virgin. And He can bring His life into our being to change the world. He takes the weak things to confound the wise. Ultimately, so no one will boast, but all will declare Him. Paul is considering Jeremiah 9.23, which says, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, the strong man boast in his strength, the rich man boast in his riches, but let the one who boasts boast this one thing, that they know and understand, I am the Lord. That's what we boast in. That's why I love Christmas. Because Christmas is about the love of God. He so loved the world, He gave His Son. And throughout time, He prophetically declared that He was coming. No one saw it. No one heard it. No one knew it. But He arrived. It's the same thing that happened to you and I. In all of our efforts, and all of our achievements, He quietly, silently came in to expose our need and came to rest inside of us. It's awesome. It's wonderful. And I boast about Christmas, the greatest gift that ever was. The reason we put up lights is to say, look at Jesus. The reason we put up a tree is to say His love is evergreen. The reason we have presents is to say that there's the greatest present ever given to man. It's Jesus Christ. The reason we sing songs and build traditions is to teach our children the wonder and the mystery of the greatest gift that was ever given. So we would pass it on to our children and pass it on to our neighbors and let everyone know this is the season to be merry because Christ is the Savior. I want to boast for a few minutes. And I can't think of a better boasting, and I can't do it justice, than what Reverend Dr. S.M. Lockridge said. He was a pastor in San Diego, California, and he visited Detroit in 1976, I think it's apt that if he preached this in Detroit, we should repeat it as well. And so Reverend Lockwood said this to boast about his king. He said, David said, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. No means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoreless supply. No barriers can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. He's enduringly strong, entirely sincere, and eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful, imperially powerful, and impartially merciful. He's God's Son. He's the sinner's Savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unique, unparalleled, and unprecedented. He is supreme and preeminent. 
He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in higher criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine in true theology. He's the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. He's the only one able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. He supplies supplies strength to the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He serves the unfortunate and he regards the aged. He rewards the diligent and he beautifies the meek. He is the key of knowledge, the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance, the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness and the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory and the master of the mighty. He's the captain of the conquerors. He's the head of all the heroes. He's the leader of all legislators. He's the overseer of all overcomers. He's the governor of governors, the prince of princes, the king of the Jews, the king of Israel, the king of righteousness, the king of the ages, the king of heaven, the king of glory, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords. His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy. And His burden is light. He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. The heaven of heavens cannot contain him, let alone can man explain him. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off your hands. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. And the witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. He always has been. He always will be. He has no predecessor. And he will have no successor. There was nobody before him. There'll be nobody after him. You can't impeach him. And he's not going to resign. For he, his kingdom is forever and unto him is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and when you get through with all the forevers that amen and amen and amen hallelujah hallelujah that's our jesus that's our jesus been great artists who paint amazing paintings that cannot compare to who he is. Great orators who give speeches so deep, thick in the realm of theology and philosophy that don't even scratch the surface 
of his identity until we come to a place where we find that we have nothing to offer him except a bent knee and the appreciation of a heart that came and was healed by the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. We must be overwhelmed by this love and his majesty. May we never dare look to another as great and wonderful as many have been in our lives. There is none like Jesus. Until you come to know him, you will wonder what the big deal is. You'll not understand the opportunity to sing and worship. You'll not understand the opportunity to pray together as a people. I'll never forget in many of the places I've been around the world where believers come together weeping at the opportunity to sing and to worship their Jesus. But yet they have to put blinds on the windows and they cannot speak at a volume to be heard. But their tears and their hands and their body positions express a love for God that would get them killed. Whether you're quiet, whether you're loud, whether you're internal or external in your worship, above all, would you put everything else aside and boast in your own heart for the glory of the one who saved you? Stand with me this morning. And let us worship him. Let us worship him. Let us worship him. Forever and always, we will bless the name of Jesus. Begin to pour your love out.